0: Well, thanks for joining me today on the Patterson Podcast. This episode has been one that I've been looking forward to for ages. I'm here with Robin Tuta, and she is from Empower Total Health. She's a naturopath, counsellor, and EFT therapist, and being a plant-based person herself, uses plant-based nutrition to reverse chronic disease from patients, not just here in Australia, but around the world. So Robin is going to take us through today the Parts of the basic portion of the Patterson program and look at its nutritional diversity and its completeness so that we all feel comfortable and reassured that we're all on something that we can uh, feel happy about. So thanks very much, Robin. Welcome.
1: It's a total pleasure, Clint. Thanks so much for having me on the program. It's an honour.
0: Yeah. So um, let's get straight into it. Let's talk about what you've got there in terms of software. You've got yep. something that you've explained to me is called FoodWorks. Uh, tell us what we're going to look at today.
1: Yes. So FoodWorks is, the, is one of the main software packages that's used by dieticians. So if you go into a dietitian and, and you announce that you have some particular goal, this is one of the, one of the main uh, forms of software that they will use to create a, a food plan for you and make sure that it's nutritionally complete so that you're, you're meeting all your nutrient targets.
0: So if we went to see a nutritionalist and they said, let's run a a profile, this would be the software that they would use.
1: Yes. There's a few on the market, but this is the main one. It's actually recommended by um, a good friend of mine who is a dietitian, a plant-based dietitian. That's a rare bird, but this this is what she used.
0: (laughs) Sensational. All right. Now, some of the terms that we're going to um, get to in just a second that we're going to hear about include recommended daily intake and estimated average requirement so uh what just give us a reminder of where these terms come from are they set by the government and In fact,
1: they are. So, these are the terms that are used in the Australian dietary guidelines that are set by the National Health and Medical Research Council. So, that's sort of like the the peak scientific body in Australia. And every uh, five years, I believe it is, they revise the Australian dietary guidelines. And so, they have these recommendations for nutrients. So, the estimated average requirement is the amount of a nutrient that is estimated to meet the needs of 50% of a particular segment of the population. So, for instance, 50% of of the needs of women aged between 35 and 45, for instance, or 50% of pregnant women or of men over the age of 75. So the estimated average requirement is the 50% mark. The recommended daily intake is actually a good deal higher than that because the the RDI, recommended daily intake, is calculated to meet the needs of somewhere around 97 to 98% of the population. So there's a big safety margin added to, to what is, you know, the probable nutrient requirement for the average show in the street just to account for people who might have extra needs of because of metabolic issues or something else that's quite unique to them. So the NHMRC also emphasises that people don't have to meet the RDIs for every single nutrient every day. That's not what they're designed or intended for. RDIs are actually intended to examine the nutrient intake of entire populations so that we can track and, and see how well a population is, is, is doing in terms of their nutrient intake. So in other words, if a, if a dietary, if a meal plan meets the RDI the nutrients, it's just about guaranteed to not just meet but actually exceed the nutrient needs for, for most people.
0: Okay. So we should think of what we're about to see is if we're hitting RDIs, we're really, really jumping over the highest possible bar. Knocking that the, it the
1: park, Knocking it the out of the park. Option, knocking it right out of the park. All right. Yeah.
0: All right. And before we, uh, the last question then, before we look at some data and start working through the software on your screen, you need to um, make a selection, don't you, um, and make a setting regarding whether it be a male, female. What yes. have we done in this particular case for this yeah, analysis? So in
1: this particular case, I chose quite, quite coincidentally a male aged 40 who weighs 75 kilos and is 180 centimetres tall. <laughs> Does that sound like anyone you know? And honestly, it was just like you know, I was setting this up, setting the parameters, and I just thought, okay, that sounds like a fairly average man. It (laughs) turns out to be pretty much your, your, um, you know, your wife. So there you go. That was kind of funny. Now, the point to this is that for females or people of smaller body size, their nutrient requirements are actually lower. And, and that, that kind of makes sense because people with a smaller body size tend to eat less than people with a larger body size. So for, you know, most couples will find that, you know, the female eats less than the male. I know some exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, you know, that, that's how it goes. Um, ninjas eat more because they're bigger. So when you see the the amounts of food that I'm putting in for, you know, our reference male, just bear in mind that for a female, she wouldn't need to eat as much to meet her nutrient targets.
0: Okay, that's beautiful. Let's try and do this. We're going to start with a blank screen and you're going to start adding some of the foods that we encourage people to eat when they've got a a chronic digestive disorder, which is the case with people with rheumatoid um, and other autoimmune conditions. And so, Robin's just bringing up a shared screen right now. So I'm seeing that, and we're recording that. So this is uh, this is all all happening the way that that we hope. So. I'm going to hand over to you and start adding some foods in here.
1: Brilliant. So you can see over here how I've set the baseline diet, 40-year-old male with a light activity level uh, 75 kilos, 180 centimetres. So then if we flick over here, I'll just show you what we're looking at on the right panel before I start filling in foods on the left. So you can see here we have the estimated average requirement, which I, I mentioned is, is going to hit targets for 50% of, of people in a particular um, population segment. The adequate intake is... An another of those designations and this is for this is the amount of nutrients where where we don't have an ear or an rdi but this is generally found to be sufficient and then here's our rdi's down here so let's start popping in some of those baseline foods and we'll begin with with quinoa which i know was a um a real staple for you right in the oh yeah
0: as you type as you're typing away there some of the foods in the baseline part of our program include buckwheat and quinoa and sweet potato. These are our real staples that are very, very anti-inflammatory and nutrient-dense, as we see some figures uh, and stats coming up here on the screen. And um, whilst you're doing that, Robin, and filling in the, the breakfast and lunch I've got a little measuring cup here because for a lot of people in the metric world, those people who have moved on. We're uh, mentioning
1: we, our friends in America, That's like. right, that's right. Um,
0: this is what a cup looks like. A cup is about that much food, and uh, so two cups is that much food. And um, I have found over the years that I would tend to eat around three or a little more cups of combined quinoa and buckwheat when i would make the two grain or two pseudo grain mix and so you're working off that kind of guideline and i would yeah, also find absolutely. that i would have to eat three to four of those a day to uh, to keep my weight steady and i yes. think
1: is not very filling and nor is buckwheat so you can see it's a nutrient powerhouse i mean let's have a look at, at our screen on the right here and you can see that just with adding in the quinoa and the buckwheat we've already uh, exceeded the requirements for you know the average requirements for a lot of nutrients if i scroll down you can see we've already exceeded the recommended daily intake for protein so that old chest of where do you get your protein i think we've sorted that one out then you can also see where we're exceeding targets for, for zinc and iron and phosphorus and all sorts of things. And we're already up to 100% of the require the adequate intake for the short-chain omega-3 plant fat alpha-linolenic acid. That's what we've got right here, alpha-linolenic acid. So we're already at 100% of our daily requirement for that crucial omega-3 fat. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, let's just sort of celebrate that a little longer because that's something that a lot of people always flag as something they're concerned about. And fair enough, because you know, not many people, when you chat to your friends, family, or even potentially uh, your doctor about this, uh, are going to have the knowledge that these pseudo grains and other grains, like brown rice, as a good example, do contain essential fatty acids. And this is yes. this came to my attention through reading uh, Dr. Shinya's book, "The Enzyme Factor," um, where he talked about the total complete nature of eating these grains and pseudo grains where his meal each day Dr and has been for the last 50 years is he eats a mix of brown rice quinoa buckwheat amaranth and i think he might put another pseudo grain in there but certainly those four are his staple and he eats it over and over again i mean it's as simple as it can get but he's a gastroenterologist and he says i want the perfect intestines and so that's yes. the way to get them
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's Mm. awesome. One of the other plant foods that's eaten a lot, particularly in parts of Japan where longevity stats are really good. So I'm thinking of the island of Okinawa is sweet potato, and you can see when we add in some sweet potato, which has got to be one of my favourite foods. I mean, I. Sweet potato, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, you name it. Sweet potato yeah. is just amazing Our stuff. friend
0: Dr. McDougall yeah. says you can live off them. Did you? Did you yeah,
1: that's that? right. That's right. I actually did one of these plans for Andrew Taylor, just, just you know, showing the adequacy of his all-potato diet. So it's amazing how nutritious these foods are. Right. So, so what um, are we yeah.
0: seeing now? On the screen. Mm.
1: With adding in the, the sweet potato, you can now see, again, our recommended daily intake so, uh, for many nutrients are, are being met there. And in particular, the the calcium. Sweet potato really has a lot of calcium. So you can see when I just click on a nutrient here, the sources are, are highlighted oh, down yeah. the bottom, mm-hmm. And that's when we really start, you, you know, getting some calcium on board. And then once I add in some greens, which is the next thing that I'm going to pop in here. Okay. So it's
0: all my gang, all my Patterson programmers know that uh, greens are my favorite thing in the world. Oh,
1: yeah. I can't
0: wait to see this just light up in like green's going to light up the green screen here. But as we, if you're listening to this and not watching this as a recorded video, which you can online, I'll post this on YouTube to accompany the podcast. We're actually only not meeting about four things at the moment across a range of about. Thirty to forty categories already. Everything else has already exceeded in a positive way.
1: Mm, Totally, totally. And I mean, you know, you you can add all sorts of greens in here. You know, I'm I'm such a big fan of kale. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. we pop in some yeah let's do some more some more kale in here and as you start to fill in the greens you can see again i mean the rdi's are we're we're close to meeting the rdi for calcium by the way the rdi for calcium is set pretty high in australia higher than than uh, say in the uk so when you are you know meeting the rdi actually we've already met the estimated average requirements we're 103 percent of the estimated average requirement just, just with these foods alone. So okay. as you'll see I add in more greens and we start really getting up there. Let you see, well what's what's your favourite green, Clint? How S- about we baby
0: spinach. Can you pull up some She's baby finished. spinach?
1: Yeah, let's so, let's do baby spinach. All this right. is um, so
0: I I do between, I would do two to three cups of baby spinach twice a day. So that's... Yeah, that,
1: right? let's, that, let's have some fun. Okay, yeah. so look at this. Now we're above our RDI for calcium just with adding in that spinach. Okay. you yeah. so so can see there's a few things that we haven't quite met there and that's where we're going to add in some seaweeds because awesome. that will really get us there. So if we just mm-hmm. do two teaspoons... Two um, teaspoons,
0: right? Now, listeners know that I, I eat huge amounts of seaweed and I recommend dulse in particular. And so yes. if people can get their hands on seaweed, which I've been banging the drum about for so long about its mineral density in particular over mm-hmm. vitamins, but the mineral density is just extraordinary. You know, I hope that's uh, going to make the last couple of things red go go green.
1: Yes, that's where we're getting. So. <laughs>
0: you know, I've eaten at times with seaweed a cup of dulce easily, easily with yeah.
1: meals. I this stuff. I mean, and you yeah. can add in more for sure. Absolutely, selenium is is one nutrient that it's often said it's hard to get, hard to get, hard to meet targets with food that's grown in Australia. And yet, if you just add in some garlic you can see we actually meet the targets. So for. So we've got
0: the two selenium. two cloves, cloves there. That's not the easiest though, is it? To You'd have to work against your instincts to want to take in two whole cloves of garlic though, wouldn't you? Sure,
1: sure, but I mean if, if it's cut up and actually yeah. mixed into the food, it just adds a yeah. lot of flavour. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean I put garlic in absolutely everything, I right. mean everything I make, well, mm-hmm. except for dessert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's not that hard for me, yeah.
0: Can you get the selenium through onions?
1: Onions aren't quite as rich as sauce, right. but you can certainly add, add onions in, yeah, okay. for
0: sure. All right. Well, if we don't have to, we won't, because what I'd like to see here, what we talked about just before we started recording, it'd be really wonderful just to use like the absolute most basic number of foods to hit or yeah. exceed daily requirements. And remember, if we're hitting recommended daily intake, we're basically jumping over the highest bar that one could possibly try and jump over. Yes. And if exactly. we're jumping over that, with only a small fraction of the number of foods that are in the Patterson program, then it's only upside from that point on
1: yeah agreed absolutely agreed yeah one of the harder things to meet on the uh, on an entirely plant-based diet is the requirement for vitamin b12 and you can see when we when we add in the the miso uh, a particular type of miso which is the awasi miso just four grams which is less than a teaspoon and you can see we've actually exceeded the the recommended daily intake for vitamin b12 when i say exceeded the recommended daily intake that's not a problem it's it's just means that you've got you know perfectly adequate um intake of that particular nutrient so i'm just going to add in a few extra foods here and in fact i've just realized that i was using the the wrong marker the the wrong measure there so if we just upscale our wakami there and our dulse oh did we have some in there yes we did and so if we add a couple of extra foods in here You'll be able to see that we we meet the iodine targets as well, and this is this is quite a difficult thing to do on an entirely plant-based diet because plants, on the whole, aren't aren't known for being you know really high in iodine. Actually, I'm just going to swap something over here, and so the the pista resistance just to really meet our. Um, our iodine targets here, is we're going to pop in some nori, which I, I love nori. I just eat the stuff, you know. I don't need to roll it up in sushi. And, you know, I tear it up and put it in a salad. It's just delicious. 100%. So So now now you can see we've met 112% of the the RDI for iodine. So how how fantastic is that? So 239% of the RDI for protein. All of our vitamin B targets have been met. If I added more greens in, we could get that vitamin C even higher. I, I mean... I'm as big a fan of greens as you are. I always say to my clients, you know, the major deficiency that people are suffering, major um, dietary deficiency that people are, are suffering in our society is actually green leafy vegetable deficiency your <laughs> greens. So I wanted to point out, too, with this upper level of, of intake, there are certain nutrients where where you know, too much would actually be hazardous and so we shouldn't exceed those. In the case of iron, though, which is the only one in that category, the iron in plants is non-heme iron. And so the intestine is a- able to regulate the absorption of non-heme iron really easily. So if you have not more non-heme iron than you need, you don't absorb it. It just goes out in your bowel movements. Whereas if that was heme iron from red meat, Your body can't filter it out. It's just going to absorb it whether it needs it or not. So excessive intake of of non-heme iron is is a serious health hazard. But with with the plant iron, with a non-heme iron, it's not a problem. And obviously in, in countries or in societies where a lot of green leafy vegetables are eaten, the iron intake is actually quite high and yet they don't have abnormally high iron levels. So we've exceeded our, our adequate intake for the, the short-chain omega-3s, the alpha-linolenic acid, which, by the way, is converted in the body into the long-chain fats, EPA and DHA. So you really don't need to worry about meeting your essential fatty acid targets. The main thing that interferes with people's ability to convert their short-chain omega-3 fats from plants into the long-chain EPA and DHA is having too much omega-6 fat, having too much saturated fat, having dietary cholesterol, and so your diet of course eliminates all those problems. There's no animal fat, there's no cholesterol. And the omega-6 fat is, you know, far lower than the average Australian is eating. There's just the amount of omega-6 that's in the grains and in the vegetables. Uh, you, again, if I click on this you can see the sources. So the sweet potato and the, the quinoa and the buckwheat provide a little bit of those um omega-6s. This is this is your linoleic acid, but not excessive amounts. And so we're going to get we're going to see really good conversion levels of of short-chain
0: omega-3s into the long-chain DHA and EPA. Okay. Well, if you could then just summarise what we're seeing on our screen here in case uh, people are still trying to wrap their head around this or they're listening to it on the podcast. We're seeing a field of green, meaning that everything is being met with one particular red associated with it, which is iron. And the reason it's red, you've explained to us just now is because it actually goes so high above recommended daily intake that it goes into sort of sort of super high range, but you've just explained that because of the form of iron that it is, it's harmless to the body.
1: Absolutely. You're just not going to absorb that because you don't need it. The body's pretty smart. It'll filter out excessive amounts of nutrients as long as you eat them in that, in that safe plant form.
0: Okay, right. Well, this is obviously uh, looking good. How does this compare to, say, some other diets that – you've looked at or, or is this an anomaly? Have you ever seen a portfolio that looks as good as this with so fewer foods?
1: It's pretty hard to achieve this kind of, I suppose you might call target hitting, with most dietary plans. Being able to meet all of those B vitamin targets, the minerals, the omega-3s, the, the whole box and dice, it's fairly unusual. Uh, for instance, when I analysed the all-potato diet, it did come up short in those omega-3s and it didn't have enough um, selenium or iodine. So this combination of the pseudo grains, the, 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 the quinoa and buckwheat, the sweet potato, which is the normally nutritious stuff, the land greens like the bok choy and the, the, the spinach and the lettuce and the kale, and then the sea greens, the sea vegetables like the dulce, wakami, mm. and nori, that portfolio, it, it's pretty it's pretty stunning in its ability to, to meet and actually exceed these nutrient requirements.
0: Well, it's funny what you can come up with when you're just using your pain levels as a trial and error feedback, and this is the result. This is the result of me using my body as its own alarm system and finding yes. that this is the diet that I found gave me the greatest possible pain relief on, whilst including some cooked foods. Now, prior to yeah. this, I was on a raw food diet, but um, that's not a diet that I believe in as strongly so
1: it's very it, hard to sustain isn't it it is so it's hard very hard
0: to sustain raw foods it's yeah it's a whole other conversation let's just go i want to do a little quick checklist uh question for you does the patterson program on its even the most basic form meet protein calcium and essential fatty acids
1: you can see it right here i mean the protein wow more than you need certainly more than even a person doing very heavy exercise. If I reset the parameters on this to a person doing heavy exercise, they would still meet their protein needs. All the vitamins, all the minerals, the uh, omega-3 and omega-6 fats, all met beautifully.
0: How does it stack up with regards to total calorie intake or energy intake in kilojoules if we use metric system? yep.
1: And so we, we can see up here, this is the estimated energy requirement. It actually exceeds the estimated energy requirement. However, As I'm sure you've discovered, people do not gain weight on a diet like this, even if in theory they're eating more calories than they need because these foods are not the kinds of foods that are going to stack on weight. But certainly this will be adequate to maintain a person's weight. And, of course, many people with rheumatoid arthritis are actually quite underweight. I'm sure you found that at the time that they come to see you because their their guts have been absolutely ruined and they've got absorption problems. So they may need a little more of energy requirement than you would calculate purely on the basis of their height and
0: weight 100 percent. couldn't agree more with everything you've said there and therefore for people who with rheumatoid who've been clinically shown to be malnourished and also lacking in things like potassium then having a program like this which is extraordinarily excessive in its nutritional range is therefore going to be only of great benefit
1: i totally agree potassium is such an important nutrient you can see here close to close to three times the adequate intake and phenomenally important for rheumatoid arthritis most australians don't get enough potassium that is for sure
0: okay right we're fixing that would you say that this diet if people are okay with it from a, um, a repetition point of view and an enjoyment point of view is it sustainable for a long period of time
1: Yes, it is. Uh, from the point of view of, of meeting these nutrient targets, yes. The the only issue that we might run into is just securing the, the broad spread of phytochemicals or otherwise known as phytonutrients, which there are tens of thousands of these compounds. And uh, green leafy vegetables are actually very high in phytochemicals, so including a diverse range of green leafy vegetables and also sea vegetables will ensure that, that you meet a lot of those targets. My understanding is that once people finish on, on this part of the program they then move on to a more diversified diet and that's the point at which they'd really start you know securing that spread of phytochemicals
0: that's 100 percent correct but um, some people do find that this portion of the program is so pain reducing and it keeps yes. them in the healing groove so well that they want to stay on it for longer periods sometimes several months now i myself did exactly that and up until our conversation right now i'd been reluctant to say that it was perfectly fine to do for for many many months and i think that your point around the phytonutrients is the real one that people need to take into account they might like to add, say, some blueberries, which are very rich in phytonutrients.
1: Yeah, so colourful fruits and, and vegetables are a real powerhouses of phytochemical intake. So that that would be a great thing to add in. You know, once once you're at the point where where you've achieved some healing of the gut, and you're ready to diversify.
0: Okay. And then um, what about vitamin B12? Now you said that you had to find only one particular range of miso that would meet. In fact, four grams of that met the B12 requirement. I don't think I've ever put miso on anything in under about like 10 grams, 20 grams, because I love the taste of it. So my question is, how can people know if their miso is going to be able to meet their B12 requirements? And is it, safer nonetheless to supplement
1: i i would say that it that it, it, it is safer to supplement just in case the ability or the the presence of, of b12 in miso depends on bacterial action and so there may be some variability even from one batch to the next i would say anyone who's going to be on a, a plant-based diet a 100 plant-based diet for longer than a couple of months would be wise to take an oral supplement and just because there's so much gut damage in people with rheumatoid arthritis which can make it very difficult to absorb vitamin b12 it's one of the trickier nutrients to absorb i would recommend using an oral spray so that they can actually absorb a substantial proportion of the B12 through the, through the mucous membranes of the mouth.
0: Okay, that's really valuable. Okay, great. Is there any recommended vitamin B12 that you know of outside of Australia since most of our listener base is outside or is it
1: Absolutely. I would just hop onto iHerb, iHerb iHerb.com, and they have quite a number of of oral sprays. The one I usually get is called Pure Advantage. It's a 500-microgram spray, and for most people, three or four sprays a week will be more than adequate to maintain their vitamin B12 status.
0: Okay. That's brilliant. All right. Well, Robin, uh, I think uh, that almost wraps us up. I, I just, it just popped into my head as I was just about to wrap up. Some people might be looking at these figures and think, well, that's, uh, that might be a little bit outside of my capacity to eat, for instance, like you know, three cups of this and three cups of that. Now, um, the figures that you've used there, because we've spoken about this prior, I have seen and I am comfortable with, Yes. being the one that you've based this on as you said coincidentally because I, yes. I'm kind of that guy no. that you've 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 put as your avatar ah. now one thing people might want to consider if they're worried about their weight is you can put these things into green smoothies which makes the consumption of oh. these
1: Absolutely, Yes. I, I think that's a brilliant way of increasing your intake of greens. If you just really struggle to to eat that volume of greens, by all means, blend them up. And I am a big fan of green smoothies as a quick lunchtime meal. I often see clients back to back. So I might be sort of going from 9.30 in the morning till 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. And so you know, I don't like eating in front of people. It's not sure. <laughs> it's yep. good um, and you get There's a green stuff between your teeth. It's not a good look. So I'll actually blend my greens into a green smoothie, which I can kind of sip in between clients. And baked sweet potato makes a marvellous smoothie base. Wow. It's really good. I've
0: never, of all the things I've ever done, I've never done that.
1: So I told you I'm a sweet potato fan, right? I will eat that stuff in any way, shape, or form. I made sweet potato ice cream recently. Oh, you mash you it, you freeze it in an ice cube tray, and then you put it through the Vitamix, And it's just amazing. So sweet potato rocks. Blend that up with your greens. It's quite sweet, obviously, especially when it's baked. And it gives your smoothie that nice smooth texture, which people normally rely on bananas to get. So if they're not yet the point where they're eating bananas then you can use the sweet potato for that textural element which is actually pretty important with a with a smoothie that's that's an insight
0: right there Uh, that's an insight you've done something that i don't know anyone else having done so that's a first do we lose any nutrients if we cook the greens if people uh, are having gastritis and they just find the raw at first a little much
1: Yes, there is a small amount of, of loss of vitamin C and folate when you cook. Now, the longer you cook your greens, the more you'll deplete those nutrients. So if you if you boil your greens until they're a little pile of pulp, like my dear mother always used to do, then there's not much folate left in them. But if you just lightly steam them, if, if you just wilt down your silver beet, or you just very lightly, say, water saute your, your bok choy, you'll preserve almost all the folate. And and look, to be perfectly be honest i mean we're we're already at 412 percent of the recommended daily intake for folate so you know what we've got a little to spare even if you even if you do blast some off in the cooking process it's still looking very very good vitamin c once again i mean uh, the vitamin c uh, the, the it's 1783 percent of the recommended daily intake so One honestly. Yeah, exactly. I would say the the RDI for vitamin C in Australia is actually set too low. It's barely above the level needed to prevent scurvy. So we need a lot of vitamin C. We're one of the very few species on planet Earth that don't make our own. And so humans, other primates, uh, guinea pigs, and a few species of fruit-eating birds and bats that don't make their own vitamin C. And animals that are under stress will actually make more vitamin C. Now, there aren't that many health conditions that that you would say are as stressful as rheumatoid arthritis, right? So people with RA, they're under stress, they're under physiological stress, aside from psychological stress, they need more vitamin C. So it's no problem that we're so far above the RDI for vitamin C. That's about right for for our primate heritage. But my my point is, even if you overcook your vegetables to some degree and lost some vitamin C that way... Don't stress. It's fine. You're really hitting your targets
0: for vitamin C. Awesome. That's very reassuring because so many uh, deficiencies need vitamin C for absorption like iron and also like vitamin D. Both of those require vitamin C. And if it's a 1,000% with just this basic format of my program, I mean, you've got all those really high vitamin C levels to to activate uh, all the mechanisms. Where can people get a hold of you if they would like to discuss their health conditions with you because you're a wealth of knowledge what should they do
1: Mm, go to my website empowertotalhealth.com.au so for your overseas listeners don't forget the dot .au <laughs> I'm Australian based but thanks to the wonders of Skype I, I can see clients anywhere, I have clients in Europe, the UK, the United States, all over the world so empowertotalhealth.com.au I'm on Facebook, again uh, empower Total Health is my, my Facebook page and there, there is a wealth of info on my website, I have a free weekly newsletter, which your listeners are very welcome to sign up for. I don't spam. I just send out really, really solid content. So there's two articles a week plus a recipe. The recipes are all whole food, plant based. They won't—they don't just include the foods in your baseline program, but they are mostly gluten free, uh, no oil, no no nasties. So certainly for those who are a little further down the track in your program, my recipes will be really suitable for them and continue on their healing journey. And I have a, a number of different programs uh, as well as doing one-to-one appointments. So you can check out all of that on my website.
0: Wonderful. So it's Robin, R-O-B-Y-N, Tutor, C-H-U-T-E-R, at empowertotalhealth.com.au. What an episode. This has just flown by. We're out of time, <laughs> but you have uh, <laughs> taken us on a whirlwind journey inside of food works and shown that Even the baseline component of the Patterson program meets or exceeds every single essential vitamin and mineral needed for the human body.
1: It's just a wonder
0: to behold, isn't it? it I mean, I'm, I'm pretty geeky and I'm geeking out on this. <laughs> I'm totally geeking out. This has been this has just been so valuable and uh, I want to thank you very much and uh, I'm sure some people will be in contact with you and um, seeking your services. So thank you very much for taking us through this, Robin.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. You've been listening to The Patterson Programme. For more information, visit PattersonProgram.com.